I'm just gonna start it up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio, episode 145. This is Dave. This is Barry. This is the God of Thunder. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm just going to leave the Thor jokes alone, so it's all good. No, that's actually what he just refers to himself when he meets the ladies. Like, hey, baby, I'm the God of Thunder. (laughs) I'm not going to look too deeply into that one, because that's just going to go nowhere good fast. Um, Let's go ahead. Wow. This week we're we're talking about the, the cinematic... Opuses of, of one prince. Opie of prince, yes. Yeah, wow, that's going to be an interesting discussion. Uh, before we get to that, we've got so much to talk about otherwise, especially with WonderCon going on and everything this weekend. Uh, Ethan, why don't you kick us off with what you watched this week? Being that I watched a lot, I'll just limit to it to what I saw in the theater. I uh, saw Jane Eyre last week, which I liked. I, I've never read Jane Eyre or seen any of the adaptations, so to be honest, this story, even though it's been done a thousand times before, was new to me at least, and I, I enjoyed it. It uh, had strong atmosphere. At times it felt like a horror movie, which I liked about it. Very good performances from Michael Fassbender and Mio uh, Wasa Kowinski Kutkova Roboba Joba Nanova. And oh, yeah, good film. Uh, next, ooh, this is a biggie. Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch. We were both told that hey, you should totally see that movie as soon as possible this weekend. Hmm. Is that even remotely correct? Uh, I I I'll say this about this. I think it's a fascinatingly bad train wreck of a film. I'll say that it's fascinating. Like. I'd take it over something like Battle L.A. any day of the week. Because at least how bad it is, like, kept me interested in it, sort of. But the big problem with this movie is that it takes itself so seriously. And at the end, there's, like, this monologue by Abby Cornish that I was like, give me a effing break. That was really when the movie pissed me off. Because at least at the beginning, like the first two thirds, I was sort of at least entertained by it. And I was like, this is bad, but you know, (laughs) then like the last third, it just, Oh, it got so like melodramatic in the wrong ways. And uh, the worst, Oh, Oh, they, you guys like know the concept, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, did you know the whole thing about how there's like three layers of reality and whatnot? I heard that. Yes. Anyway, well, whenever they go to like the dream, Oh, you know, it's like that other movie. Whenever they go to the dream level, the third dream level, it's like uh, they play these covers of these great rock songs, and it's just the worst. Oh, the worst. Like, they seriously couldn't use the original. You couldn't use Iggy Pop's Search and Destroy. You have to have, like, this crappy pop punk cover. Like, I understand Zack Snyder's probably like, well, you know, because it's about female empowerment, so I have to have a girl singing this song. Well, like, get, like, a Sonic Youth song or that's done by Kim Gordon or, like, a Runaway song. It, like, oh, it's the worst. And it, uh, I, I don't want to get it. I don't really want to talk about this movie more because the more I think about it, the more I truly hate it. But <laughs> it is it is an interesting bad movie. It's, 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 worth, it's worth seeing and thinking... People put it like a hundred million dollars into this movie. Why? 
Is that the question we're going to be asking ourselves is why? Yeah. And even like the action, like some of it I liked, but the other half of like some of the other action was just kind of so like cliche, like slow motion, CGI things hitting CGI things. It just does not interest me. So, eh. Already uh, the performance is good? So, pardon me? I'm sorry. I, I just want to know if any of the performances are any good, you think? Um, I liked Abby Cornish and Jenna Malone. Okay. And John Hamm is in it for like for like five minutes, and he has like one line. It's really weird. <laughs> okay. Were the visuals at least something interesting, or was it not really? I thought like I thought when they were in the World War One thing, it was kind of interesting. And uh, uh, there was one other. I kind of like this one. They were where they're on a train and they're fighting all these robots. I thought that was kind of cool. But other than that. Again, it's a lot of it's just kind of cliche CGI, you know. Eh. Um, also, on the same night, I saw Limitless, which mm. I don't know. I I like a lot of the visuals in it, but for the most part, it's pretty uh, middle of the road. So an Abby Cornish double feature. Exactly, my friend. My friend Alex turned to me and said, "This is what she did after she got out of the institution." Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. And uh, th- then uh, yesterday I saw Win Win, the new Thomas yeah, McCarthy film. Yeah, how is that? Uh, I really uh, – it's pretty good. I It started out, like, I thought great. Like, I was really into it. And uh, what I liked is it was it had a very comedic tone, but it very subtly dealt with a lot of dark things. But towards the end, it becomes kind of very – it just – it becomes a lot darker than funny, and I just wasn't as interested into that. But it's it's a really good movie. It has uh, – it's it's really strongly written and uh, the performances are great like uh amy ryan's character in the movie is kind of written broadly but she she plays it in such a realistic way that i thought was great and yeah it's it's definitely worth seeing it's probably one of the better movies this year cool cool right on and uh yesterday i saw a double feature of the holy mountain and santa sangre by alejandro jodorowsky on the big screen wow yeah I have to say, I'm officially, I am in love with seeing movies on prints. Like prints, like 35 millimeter, like because oh, we, yeah. in uh, class this week, watched In the Mood for Love on a, pr- like a print of it. And there's just something about watching a movie that way that I think is, beats DVD any day of the week, or even Blu-ray, because it's like kind of the difference between vinyl and DVD, and, or CD. Mm-hmm. That's how I'd compare it. When you and, say uh, you love to watch movies on prints, I'm like, well, that's what today's topic is, so you're in luck. I, uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, the Holy Mountain. This is my second time seeing it. And Santa Sangre. This is my first time seeing that. But the Holy Mountain. It's pretty interesting seeing that in a, a packed theater because the first time I saw it, I was high out of my mind by myself at home with the sound turned way up, and it was like one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I was like screaming out loud at various points of the movie. I was so freaked out, and. But it's interesting because you're like you're again you're in this pack theater and there's like this guy wearing this huge hat shaving these two chicks' like heads or like this naked guy covered in tarantulas or like this Jesus guy with all these like eating like the face of a Jesus statue and it's like and there's and there's like while you're watching this there's people like getting out going up to the bathroom eating popcorn like talking to their friends and you're like it's like this is a movie. <laughs> Wow. And uh, Santa Sangre, have you guys seen it? I've not seen Santa Sangre. 
Yeah, he made this in 1989, and it's about a uh, it's about this guy. He's in a mental institution, like Sucker Punch. Nah. But uh, anyway, it flashes back to when he was a child and how he got there, and he like grew up in a circus, and like his mom was insane. And then eventually, he uh, escapes from the mental institution and he joins his mom, who has no arms, and she makes him like kill all these people. And it's it's a it's a pretty amazing film. Like I, it's actually like really funny, like genuinely funny. And again, like you know, it's Yodorovsky, so it's weird, but I I loved it. And again, I mentioned this before the show. I got to shake the hand of Mr. Yodorovsky, and it's probably the highlight of my week. Very cool. Have you washed your hands since? Well, washed it. That's a good question. Did uh, did Yodorovsky take the stage? Like, do a Q and A afterwards? No, but he introduced them both. Okay, okay. I'd be curious to hear like what he's up to because there's all these rumors that uh, he's trying to get Abel Kane made. You know, the sequel to El Topo. But uh, those rumors keep they kind of come up and they kind of go away. He spoke in French too, so I couldn't even tell what he was saying. Wow, but still. cool. Right on. Very cool. That's neat, man. I mean, they, you know. It's like, say what you will about his films. Some people love his films. Some people do not love his films. But the guy is truly an artist, and he's really one of the really one of the big, big ones when it comes to just independent cinema and one of the guys who just like really shook things up. And, I mean, El Topo really is the original midnight movie. It came out in 1973, years before Rocky Horror ever showed its face. So, I mean, we really do have a lot to thank about, like, a guy just really putting his crazed, uninhibited, uncompromised vision on screen. So that's cool, man. Right on. So is that it for you, sir? Yep. Right on. Um, I guess I can go next. Save the best for last. I don't, I don't know. Um, I didn't watch a whole heck of a lot. I revisited Your Brother Where Art, though, because I felt the need to. I haven't watched it in a long time. Yeah, I haven't either. We watched the Down from the Mountain uh, musical thing on, on Netflix, Watch Instantly, which is quite good as well, but Oh Brother Where Art, though, is just such... I, I, Holds it, up well? I think so. I think it's still my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Because it is just such, to use their words, it is the Lawrence of Arabia of Hayseed movies. It's a very cheerful film. It is, which is a, a, a bit of a departure for them for the most part, outside of like you know the Hudsucker Proxy or well, something like raising that. Raising Arizona. Or, yeah. yeah, but for the most part, especially compared to their, their more recent stuff, is a lot more nihilistic or just kind of depressing, whatever however you want to look at it. Sure. Not that they're not good movies. They absolutely are, but I just really connected, and I still click with that movie. I love that movie so much. Great. Um, and then I got some Blu-rays this week, so I've been kind of delving into TV shows I haven't watched. I watched the first episode of Planet Earth. Hmm. The uh, Richard Attenborough documentary, and it is gorgeous. That's really the only term I can use for it. I mean, this Blu-ray came out what about four years ago, and it still holds up against pretty much anything that's come out since. Cool. Uh, it is truly a thing of beauty to see. Uh, watching a, a wolf chase a, a caribou cub, you know, it's just kind of wow. It, just the scope of the thing and the, the technology they used really struck me because they 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 have this tight shot on a few caribou running across you know the Arctic, then it zooms out and there's more. And more, and they finally zoom out enough, and you see it's three thousand of them running in a herd wow. because they're able to fly high enough and have good enough camera equipment to zoom in that close that they don't disturb the herd. It was it's highly worth checking out. Uh, Best Buy had it for like twenty five bucks last week. That's why I was like, that's a good deal for that movie. Yeah, yeah, it's got eleven episodes. Yeah, it's like what twelve hours long, or? something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's darn good. Yeah, uh, and then I through Ultimate Electronics taking the 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 final plunge into bankruptcy, I was able to pick up the first two seasons of The Twilight Zone. Wonderful. And I'm going through that show again with Steph, and you know it's <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> mm. 
sometimes you worry. You, there's a show you love so much as a kid, and even as a teenager, you're, you worry that it doesn't hold up as well. The, the, the Twilight Zone is just a timeless TV show. Uh, the first episode, Where's Everybody?, is just such a great, you it's know, perfect, yeah. yeah, it's a one man show, but it is so well done. The transfer is crisp and clear as can be. It is gorgeous. The special features are mind blowing. I think they had like three different versions of the episode, including the version where Serling was actually doing his pitch to advertisers and all kinds of stuff. That's cool. It is incredibly cool. And then we watched the one with uh, Fred Gwynn, Ed, Ed Gwynn. I'm sorry, Ed Gwynn, uh, where he's the the salesman, and death comes to take him. Yes. Such a touching episode, and it shows that the man had some serious chops. Uh, it, it's just a very sweet episode. And again, it's gorgeous. It's mesmerizing. I mean, these half-hour episodes are have to be so crisp and quick and to the point that they're incredibly tight, incredibly well-written, and acted and directed. I mean, it's... I don't think we have anything like it today. I mean, no, as much as no. you know, you might love other shows. There's just nothing like the Twilight Zone. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, it's still my favorite show, and I agree. I mean, I don't, I don't think anything's. I mean, I appreciate the shows that have come in its wake, whether it be Twin Peaks or Lost, you know, or you know, oh yeah, the shows that are really well, well written. But uh, no, I agree with you. I don't think, I don't think we've ever topped the Twilight Zone. It's yeah. No, my big fat Greek life. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, or the U.S. version of Coupling. I mean, there's just nothing quite as good as that, but. Or the U.S. version of Space, for that matter. I'm trying to think of one I could throw in there for you guys. Or Harry and the Henderson, the series. Or Ferris Bueller, the series. Or Freddy's Nightmares, and Nightmare on Elm Street, the series. Good one. Uncle Buck, the series. Or uh, what was it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> my each other my the mother, words. the car. Oh wow, that was a bad one. Super Train, the one where it was like this train where like you know had like a swimming pool and like you know. Well, then you got to go Auto Man. Oh, yeah. Auto Man. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're like doing the crappy cinema. The Charmings, the sitcom about Snow White. Oh, wow. I used to watch The Charmings. Oh, my gosh. Okay, we can move on now because this is just <laughs> degrading and devolving so very quickly. Uh, that's really all that I've had time to watch this week with all the Starfest prep going on. Uh, so, sir, what have you been watching? I uh, caught up with Billy Wilder's Double Indemnity. Um, it, it's fun to watch because not only is it you know one of the great movies of all time, but it's fun to to forget that Fred McMurray had a life outside of Disney. Yeah, um, yeah. I he mean, was always know, the absent-minded professor. Well, like you know, like I I try to think of him as as you know uh, the role he played in the apartment, which was such a such a sleaze yes. bag. But like, yeah, like to see him in Double Indemnity, to see him like kind of the Jimmy Stewart role in, in Vertigo or like the Michael Douglas role in Basic Instinct it's interesting to see him that way and he's wonderful and it's and Edward G. Robinson is so amazing in the film it's so he's so completely and utterly cast against type um, yeah Double Indemnity is one of the great ones um, I need to see it still it's good it's good yeah uh, Bored to Tears watching Howard's End finally got around to seeing Howard's End with uh, Anthony Hopkins Emma Thompson Helena Bonham Carter it's one of the early films made by the James Ivory is Mer- Israel Ivory, Mer- Ivory yeah, Merchant, yeah, Merchant, yeah Merchant Ivory films and yeah I uh you know, it's it's a very faithful adaptation of its book, but uh, it's two hours and twenty minutes, I think. And it, the whole time I'm Ooh. watching it, all I could think is like, there are so many scenes that could have been shortened or cut altogether. It's it's just one of these movies that's very punishingly long. It's got great performances, visually beautiful film. You couldn't ask for a better looking film, but it has other than Emma Thompson's character, and it's no mistake she won the Oscar for the film. But there are no likable people in the entire film, which is very hard when the movie's almost. <laughs> three hours long oh you're supposed God. to like watch these people grow up yeah and I was I, I you know I don't get bored eat, often watching movies I, I tend to like films that are slow and really take their time but this film I, I could not wait for Howard's End to end 
um, watched a chain reaction for the first time in 15 years. Yes. The Opus starring Keanu Reeves and Morgan Freeman. Um, it was the first film that Andrew Davis had done after directing Basic Instinct, and it really shows um, that he was trying to kind of redo the success of Basic oh, uh, Instinct. Uh, Basic Instinct? I'm sorry, The Fugitive, The Fugitive. Thank you. Sorry, I got Basic Instinct on the mind. Who could blame me? Um, <laughs> yeah, like Chain Reaction has the same opening credits as The Fugitive, and Fred, Fred Ward is clearly supposed to be channeling Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive, and um, the problem is is that Keanu Reeves is not Harrison Ford. No. <laughs> um, what works in Chain Reaction is is Morgan Freeman is so good. It's an impossible role, and he's good. And Jerry Goldsmith's score is so thunderingly good. It's so exciting. Um, but yeah, when it's over, it's just like you know what? I could have I could have just watched the Fugitive. So <laughs> I got that really, on Blu-ray this weekend. Oh, that's that's that movie holds up. That's a great film. Yeah. And finally, a movie not only crossed off my list of shame, but off my bucket list as well. I finally got around to seeing. Weekend at Bernie's too. <laughs> Whoa! I, and I had always wanted to see Weekend because, like, I'm one of the few people who will always defend the original because, uh, for me, it's like as far as guilty pleasures go. I mean, I, I just I think it's funny. It's sick. It's wrong, but it's very funny. The sequel, like, not only is it a dreadful, dreadful, dreadful film, but like, I, I think it gets off to the wrong start just in the terms of its premise because, like, you remember the original film, Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman, they go to this really sweet house. Oh, can you hear that? Probably. Well, yeah, the dog's going crazy. Okay. Yeah, Harley's uh, on the prowl. Anyway, um, yeah, so like in the original film, our two lovable goofballs, they find their boss, Bernie, is dead. And, you know, they're at his beautiful house in the Hamptons. And there's this huge party that's about to break out. So they just pretend that he's alive just to kind of keep things, you know, copacetic and like before, you know. And, you know, it's basically just kind of like a reactionary thing. The The premise of the sequel is that, you know, Bernie is dead. He's been dead for like probably a year now. And our two lovable goofballs discover that there is a bank account that Bernie has that has been untapped for in the Cayman, Isle, Cayman Islands, Virgin Islands rather, that uh, that has $2 million that's been unaccounted for. So what they do is they steal Bernie's body from the morgue, they pack him in a suitcase, fly him to the Virgin Islands, put him in a freezer, and then thaw him out, take him to the bank, pretend that he's alive, and get the money out. And it just, it struck me that, like, this is such a sick and weird premise for a comedy, <laughs> you know? Like, in the original film, like, it's a farce. I get it, you know, they're going to pretend that he's he's alive and, like, you know, trying oh, yeah. to make do with this. But, like, the, I mean, they steal his body from a freaking morgue and take him on a plane, put him in a suitcase, and then put him in a freezer, you know? And we're supposed to find these guys, like, I mean, these guys are sick and twisted and weird to go along with this whole thing. So it's, it's a very weird film to watch because, like, I swear there are moments in the film that if you change the music, it could be a horror film or like a psychological thriller so you're waiting for the, the recut of the trailer absolutely there's because without spoiling too much for those of you who care to see weekend at bernie's 2 there's <laughs> there's a running plot gag that um with voodoo and this certain music bernie could come back to life but not as a not like the way he used to be but like he could come back to life as a dancer like he could be animated and start dancing like a puppet no yeah so like <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with that. I just kind of blew my mind even to bring it up. But anyway, yeah, so... How could you not share something oh, like that? Oh, no, I know where I was going with it. There's a scene where he first comes back to life for the first time, and his eyes are open, and he's, like, dancing and coming towards the camera. It was like something out of a Yodorowsky film. It was so scary and disturbing and, and creepy and, <laughs> and made me so uncomfortable watching it. Oh, that's special. So, anyway, yeah, Weekend of Bernie's 2. It's probably one of the worst movies ever made. I you know, I don't know why I waited so long to see it, but now that I have seen it, I kind of wish I didn't because I think the Weekend of Bernie's 2 in my mind was a much better film. 
So like wow. we're gonna burn you gotta, too. Gotta the, reboot the franchise there. Yeah, exactly. I think. It's like the Phantom Menace. You know, it's like Where's one of these Christopher movies. Christopher Walken is Bernie. That's an excellent idea. That's good casting, Dave. Yeah. Directed by Mick G. Ooh. There you go. See, like, Hollywood people need to just listen to this show and like, like they're slated. Okay, so, so who so are the better. two kids going to be? Zach Efron and Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty good. <laughs> Score by uh, Raekwon. Raekwon from Wu Tang can do the score. I was going to say the Brothers, but I like that. I like some Wu Tang action. Wow, we really need to quit doing Wu-Tang. this stuff because if it comes out, we're suing you. I'm just saying. Well, plus if it's terrible, you know who they're all going to blame. Us. Yeah. 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 Like listen, let's listen to that show where those guys like ruined the weekend at Bernie's franchise. Yeah, because that's that's such an a, a magnum opus. Hey man, there's money waiting to be made from a weekend at Bernie's franchise. I just know it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, especially if you reanimate the corpse of, you know, I could, you could go some really bad places. Okay, go move on, sir. Quick, quick, get us. Well, away you know from what? Here. There's a scene in the movie where where the bad guys steal Bernie's corpse because they want to take the money too, and you know they put on the music and Bernie's like jigging and you know dancing and getting all jiggy and you know, and, and one of the guys looks at the camera and goes, "I wonder if this works on Elvis." Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Anyway, I'm done. That's it? Okay. That's, well, it that's a heck of a way to end on that one, sir. Wow. <laughs> Dang. All right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about what hit in theaters this past weekend and what we didn't go see and all that stuff. Currently, the number one movie in America, Russell Brand, is the voice of the Easter Bunny in Hop. You know, I wasn't aware that this is a live-action movie. Is it? Yeah. Like, I thought it was all CGI. No, no, no. It's about... Um, it's who's in it? It's got some real movie star in it, but yeah, it's like it's kind of like Alvin and the Chipmunks, where some guy discovers the Easter Bunny and like I guess tries to exploit him. <laughs> yeah, as so, I, I thought it was like you know I thought it was like that movie Rio coming out, but no, it's it's actually like Alvin and the Chipmunks. Wow. So anyway, that's Hop that came out, um, a movie I'm very fond of. Source Code, the new film from Junk, Duncan Jones starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Source Code, uh, the new from from James Wan, the critically acclaimed Insidious. Apparently, it's really freaking scary for a PG-13 horror film. Yeah, we were talking to the Greens last night, and they were just freaked yeah, out. petrified. So yeah. yeah, if you know if, if it scares the Greens, you know it's a scary movie. Um, Liberty release of uh, the another movie we talked about last night, Rubber, the yeah. killer, the killer telepathic movie. I really need to see this movie. movie. It's probably coming to Denver. You you know that if uh, if Keith can get a hold yeah, of exactly. it, yeah, exactly. Keith is probably going to put it on his watching hour. Um, the long delayed, although it's supposed to be pretty good. Um, the new film, uh, James Gunn. I'm sorry, James Gunn's new film, Super, with Rain Wilson and Ellen Page. Well, it did the the festival circuit last year, so it's just now getting its distribution. Okay, yeah, Nathan Fillion's in it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Trust, uh, directed by David Schwimmer, so, uh, starring Clive Owen. This the, the reviews for this thing has been really good. This is one about uh, online predators. Huh. It's supposed to be very, very, very disturbing, but also very good. So, all right, you have a snarky remark. No, to make? no, 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 <laughs> okay. no. I was just wondering if someone came out with a camera. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's like Dateline the movie, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I see. You. Okay, I saw you. I saw you smirk. I'm like, oh, he's got a joke. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> cool. Jeez, that's, that's my it. job, Dave. <laughs> there it is. Sorry, sir. My bad. Oh, and then DVD, sorry, this week yes. DVD. Um, last year's geek-tastic uh, Tron Legacy, although, you know, I think... A divisive movie, I think yeah, it's fair to it's put really it. Div- yeah, because, like, I think about a year ago, there was no movie we were more excited about. Now that we've seen <laughs> it, it's like, there are people who love it, and there are people who who really feel it's like The Phantom Menace with Jeff Bridges. So. And I, I can't go there. I mean, I've seen it two or three times now, so I'm, I know there are deals out there to be had, but Disney's kind of skimping on the deals compared to what they used to, so I'm not getting it this week. No, no. 
No, I do want to see it again. I like the film. I don't think it's great cinema, but I thought it was fun for what it was. Um, the Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And you said, do you think this is the best in the series? I think so. I think they've been getting progressively better, and I think this is the first film that's actually legitimately and truly good, hmm. I think. Um, the, the, most, the most fascinating thing about it is the character of Eustace, if you read the book, you're supposed to hate that character. And... Boy, do you in this movie? Like you, you want oh, yeah. him to die? Yeah, I hated his guts. Actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you saw the movie? I did see it. Yeah, and I think the the fact that they made the turnaround to you liking him by the end of the film, I think, is the film's greatest achievement. I didn't like him at the end you of the film. Okay, okay, fair <laughs> enough. No, okay. no, I couldn't. So, for, I, so if it doesn't I, work for you, then maybe not. I don't know. And, and you know, I, I do. I, I appreciate what you're saying because I didn't. I didn't hate the film, um, but you know, I found him so thoroughly annoying that in the end, when he did kind of have his big turnaround, I couldn't go there because I still wanted. <laughs> I still wanted like at, like Aslan just to like bite his head off. I couldn't stand that kid. I wanted more of of uh, the White Witch. We like Tilda Swinton's in it for like what two seconds. Yeah, but she's not even in the movie. I, I mean, she's not even I in the story. I know, I know, but like she's in the. I don't know. Like you're gonna bring Tilda Swinton back. I wanted a little more, but but anyway, vi- visually incredible though. Absolutely a- excellent special effects. It definitely deserved that Oscar nomination. Yes. Um, Blu-ray on Blu-ray this, uh, this week. Taxi Driver, Martin Scorsese's masterpiece with Robert De Niro as Travis Bickle. Um, Steven Spielberg's AI. We've talked about that a couple times on this show. Just once in a while. Yeah. Just once in a while. My, probably my favorite Steven Spielberg film is celebrating its 10-year anniversary this year. Um, Arthur One and Two. Um, I saw Arthur One just recently. It's still great. Still holds up great. Terrific. Cool. I think it's probably the best thing Dudley Moore did. So Arthur and Arthur Two on the Rocks coming on DVD in a in a, in a double double feature edition. Uh, finally, the Oscar nominated Babe and Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing, one of the great Shakespeare films, in spite of Keanu Reeves' performance. Yes, and I, have, I, I was gonna. Looked, I was talking yeah. about this on Twitter recently. I, I was looking at Keanu Reeves' filmography, and you know he's considered one of the worst actors of all time, but he's worked with like so many amazing filmmakers. Yeah, and I, I disagree with that. I don't think he's one of the worst actors of all time. He's put some good performances. Yes, yeah. the problem is nobody has seen those good performances. Like if, a Scanner Darkly. <laughs> if that's yeah, thank you. Like if you like people think okay, like they're talking about Speed and The Matrix and Constantine and The Day of the Earth Stood Still. Then yes, those are terrible. But if you're talking about The Devil's Advocate, if you're talking about Sam Raimi's The Gift, um, and even and and you're right, Ethan. Like it, it is amazing. Like this guy's worked with Bertolucci. He's worked with Coppola. He was in The River's Edge where he was excellent. Um, I mean, he's worked with Ron Howard with Taylor Hackford. I mean, his his filmography is pretty stunning. Like, he's gone out of his way to work with really interesting people. He's worked with Gus Van Sant twice. Um, no, I mean, I, I think he's a limited actor, let's be honest. In some roles, he, like, you know, casting being cast as Buddha and Bertolucci's Little Buddha, that was a mistake. <laughs> he, you know, and, like, he's talked about that, too. Like, um, I remember there was an interview with him, and he mentioned that, like, he did Dracula, like, he was too tired, he had just done another film, but, like, he got a phone call, and his agent said, you know, Coppola wants you to play Jonathan Harker in Dracula, and he's like, my God, I can't turn down Francis Ford Coppola in Dracula, you know, so it's like, you know, some of those performances, like, Buddha and Dracula, like, you could see, like, he's trying to, like, you know, he's he's just not there as an actor, and, like, the material was just too demanding for him, but in the right role, like, you mentioned, like, a Scanner Darkly, or even, like, in, uh, in Something's Gotta Give, like, he's perfect, um, it's just, you know, it's about finding the right role for him, I think. All right, then. But anyway, okay. no, I, I agree with you, Ethan. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, his filmography is astonishing just to look at that. I just think there's, like, an essay to be written there or something. I think so. Like a, I, a career analysis. Yeah, I think his career is much more interesting than James Franco. But, I mean, I think it's similar where you kind of look at the directors he's worked with and, you know, it's, he doesn't get a lot of credit for, for how interesting he is, put it that way. That's fair. 
Cool. All right. Well, then, shall we move on? Is that all you had? Or no, uh, I love Philip Morris is coming out too, right? Oh yes, there. Yeah, there are more. I'm sorry. Yeah, the the newbies. Yeah, I love you, Philip Morris is coming out. One of our favorite films of last year. Um, Robert De Niro and Ben Stiller needed some money, so they did Little Fockers. That's coming out. Uh, Kevin Smith in the late George Hickenlooper's Casino Jack and J- uh, Dave's crap title of the week. And I second this because <laughs> I've actually seen a few episodes of this. Sarah Palin's Alaska. And like is- all I've done is look at the the, the episode descriptions, and it's like. <laughs> Winter's coming, so they have to get food because you know they're gonna starve because they're the Palins. <laughs> so she gotta go hunting with her daddy. <laughs> like really? <laughs> I I saw a few episodes of this over Christmas break, and like this is not a political statement. I mean, like you know, like look, bad TV can be entertaining. This is not good television. Okay, like no. I watch them like they're they're all running around with their guns in the wilderness and they're shooting caribou with like Uzis. You know, like this is this is not good TV. You know, and it's just, it's it's so dull and dry. Like, you know, say what you will about Hogan Knows Best. That's an engaging show. Yeah. Hulk Hogan is fun to watch as a dad, you know. But Sarah Palin and her family, her brood is just not that interesting. It's not good TV. Fair enough. There yeah, you go. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go there with you. <laughs> Wait, it's on, it's on, what, what channel is it on again? Oh, I don't know. Is that the Nature Channel? I have it was, no I think idea. It was, it was Nature Channel, Animal Planet. It was one of those, which is funny because she's like wiping out half the animal caribou population in alaska but yeah it was like it was one of those because i say if it's on a and e it's not up to their usual uh <laughs> standard of excellence <laughs> it's no steven seagal law man that's exactly wow. or gene simmons family jewels oh that's a good show I've seen that one too. <laughs> nice nice all right well shall we move on to some news then yeah all right go ahead well unfortunately uh someone in their infinite wisdom decided to remake time bandits so Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits is currently being it's not it's not even like in the rumor mill. I mean this is going to happen. They're they're prepping a remake of Time Bandits. So we're hoping it's Zack Snyder, right? <laughs> with uh with CGI dwarves in slow motion. Yes. Yeah. I'm uh, sorry, little people, little people. I'm sorry. Shame on me. I'm more politically correct than that. Major little dwarves, little people, whatever. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not the biggest Time Bandit fan, I'll be honest. I've seen it once. I thought it was charming, but like I it's but not to remake the, a Gilliam film. Good luck with that, kids. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Even like even um even, what was that weird one he did? Burn Munchausen? No, no, no. <laughs> the other weird one. T- Tideland? Tideland. Yeah, like even even Tideland. I say like leave it alone. Don't touch Gilliam's stuff. The guy is an artist. I really feel like he's the American Fellini. Just leave him alone. Even the stuff that he that he did that didn't completely work is still fascinating and rich. We don't need to be remaking his films. Yeah. Yeah. I That's just annoying. No, no. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. This is, there's too many good books that have yet to be made into films. There are too many good films that have been yet to be made into films. And we keep digging back. I mean, this is, this is something we talk about seemingly every week. But, like, you know, when will it, <laughs> when will it stop, Dave? When will it stop? <laughs> All right. Um, Ethan, have you, you've, you've, got a, you've got an interesting one. I, yeah. I want to let you go ahead and get yours out of the way. Friendly, the Hangover 2 trailers, an interesting story. <laughs> Not really. It, it, it's just what's interesting is more Barry's reaction. I think. <laughs> oh, I just I thought it was more of the same. I, I wasn't impressed by the trailer, to tell you the truth. Um, and you know maybe they're just saving the best jokes for the movie. But uh, it, I don't know. It, it felt like um, it reminded me of like the City Slickers two trailer. It's like you know, it's like you've, well you know you've seen the first film. You've it feels like you've already seen the sequel. But I could be wrong. It could be funnier than the first one. But um, yeah, they didn't show any of the, the Liam Neeson footage. I was curious to see what that looked like. But that they're leaving that out. Does um, Tyson show up? 
No, they don't. No, no Tyson. Even though he's apparently in the film, but no. Okay. Okay. What did you think of it, Ethan? Basically the same. Like even just the fact that like Ken Jong is in it again. It just yeah. seems like really. Yeah, it's desperate. That reminded me of like in Speed Two, where Glenn Plummer, who basically like forgive me for referring him to this way, but like the black guy with the car. Remember in Speed One, and now, then he's in Speed Two, and he's like, "Oh no, not my boat!" Oh, because the first one he's like, "Oh no, not my car!" It looks like the same thing with really. Ken. Yeah, it's like it's the same thing like with Ken Jong coming back, and I I really agree with you. I saw that and I thought that's that's just this is like sequelitis one on one. But the man's milking it. You gotta admit. I mean, he he he's do he he's taking full advantage of his fifteen minutes. We'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's good on Community. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely has skills. It's just unfortunate that he's in like those those Salzburg movies and. Yeah. Yeah, he's much better. He's much better than he's very funny. He really is. Yeah. Um. I guess I'll bring up the, the my only news of the week really is the Green Lantern stuff. Um. The poster came out Saturday morning, and I was horrified. <laughs> Because it just looks. You just bad. hate that suit, don't you? You, just, it, you know what? Here's it, the thing. It really. It's not even the suit so much anymore. It's Dave, the how old are you again? I am 34 years old, sir. <laughs> and you're pissed off a movie made for 10 year olds. Shut up. <laughs> 10 to 25 year olds will have you know. <laughs> uh, the, the, honestly, I've, I've kind of gotten used to the suit. I think the mask just looks like a really bad Photoshop mm. on the trailer. Uh, I mean, on the poster, but then the footage came out from WonderCon, and while I'm not, you know, holy crap, this is going to be the best movie ever, I've definitely come around on it, and I mean, let's be honest, I was going to see it opening weekend no matter what. My hopes are just a little bit higher now. Yeah, no, I agree, Dave. I, you, you showed me the footage this morning, and or at least, like, uh, we, we got to see, what, five minutes of the nine-minute footage? Yeah. So it's an abbreviation of the WonderCon footage, and no, I agree with you. It, it definitely has scale and scope. It's very imaginative. It looks it looks like fun. It looks like a lot of fun. It, it does remind me of, uh, of like, what Brian Singer did with the first X-Men movie or, like, what he did with the Superman Returns. It looks like it, it looks very grand. It looks very big scale. It's not simply just, like, a bunch of jokes. Um, I think the original trailer made it look kind of like the Green Hornet, like it was going to be just a total goof. And they're clearly taking the mythology seriously. And yeah, um, yeah it looks fun. It looks like a lot of fun. I think Peter Sarsgaard looks great as Hector Hammond, um, as, as the as the guy, the science, the balding scientist in yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and what was really interesting was I knew Parallax was in it, but I wasn't sure how they were going to do the imagination of, the, of that creature. I think they did a really good job. They could have gone the Galactus route, you know, where it's just a giant cloud. Right. They did a really good job with it. I'm, I'm definitely more on board with the film now. It looks very cool. Like all the stuff on the planet, um, I was really impressed with the scale of that. That they, because I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't the impression that that was going to be a real small portion of the film. But clearly, it's, 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 it's a vital part of the film, and it looks really beautiful. Yeah, I need to take a shower. I've got nerd all over me. <laughs> yes, I geeked all over you. Does it smell like bubble gum? Oh, something pink! I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, right. Let's just. All right. Uh, what other news you got there, Barry? Let's uh, moving right along. Jumping well, um, Pixar announced they're going to do Monsters University. So this is the official Monsters Inc. Two title. Monsters this, yeah, the prequel. Prequel. That's right. That's right. That's how it's how our two friends met each other. That's right. So I'm mm. I'm happy. I mean, I wish they were doing uh, you know The Incredibles Return. I still think that's that's the natural sequel. But like, what is with all these Pixar sequels though? I don't know. I uh, with all the crap that Disney's putting out, I'm starting to turn on the whole Pixar's going to keep Disney in the right direction thing. You know, mm. it's just but uh, but Cars two looks so good. Does it? I haven't seen the trailer yet. I I, I thought my voice kind of <laughs> betrayed his sarcasm. I wasn't sure if that was silky smooth or sarcastic, but sarcasm. Okay, now I know. It was silky smooth sarcasm. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah, I'm. Oh man, yeah, I, I agree. I think there's there's definitely room for a sequel for The Incredibles, but these other movies, it's. I, I guess there, there, there's more merchandising opportunities. There were so many unanswered questions. Yes, yes. 
Well, and, and it, this is going to lead to an episode that we've got coming up pretty soon. Uh, at the latest Disney shareholder meeting, one of the shareholders asked Bob Iger point blank, when are we getting Song of the South, for crying out loud? And he just said, essentially said, I don't care how much little, how much money we can make, it's inappropriate to release this movie. And I'm like, are you serious? Mm. It makes no sense. I mean, look at the box office receipts for Transformers 2. America loves racism. Exactly, see? Mm. Yep, Song of the South. I keep waiting for someone to do like a CGI remake of that, like Hop. <laughs> that, wow. Well, here's, oh, you know, I'm not going to get into that because we're going to get into it when we do the Song of the South episode. So, sure. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> uh, yeah. Have you got anything else, sir? Yeah, I, I get a couple more. Um, well, Charlie Sheen's tour kicked off the other night, and you know, this is this is hey, this is Screen Geeks news. This fits in our in our our thing. Charlie Sheen is an actor. He used to do films. Um, now he plays himself extraordinarily well. Well, apparently, uh, I mean, I'm, I don't know. Have you guys heard about this? this is amazing. Like, uh, I've heard several things about. Yeah, the tour. It was, apparently it was <laughs> it was the opening night in Detroit, and he got booed throughout the throughout the thing. Did he? And, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And at one point, some guy said, "You suck," and Charlie Sheen was like, "Hey, man, you already paid for the thing." Um, got him there. Yeah. Yeah. Zing. And then apparently, like fifty percent of the show was clips. It was like clips of movies he's done, clips of stuff on YouTube <laughs> of him like mixing up his like you know winning seriously shots of his father's movies, like like scenes from Apocalypse Now, scenes from movies that represent Charlie Sheen's life according to him, like Animal House and Taxi Driver. Um, yeah, wow. so it was like fifty percent of it was anyway. Like people were were twittering like crazy. This is the worst thing we've ever seen. People walking out saying this is a total ripoff. Although, again, like what did you want? What did you expect when you paid like hundreds of dollars to see the Charlie Sheen show? But apparently, a lot of it was just him angrily ranting and raving and and promising things that he never delivered on. And um, and apparently, he also left after seventy minutes. After seventy minutes of of, of you know doing his bits um, apparently he just walked off the stage so it's still currently as of this episode this is probably old news by now but like as of this episode there's still question whether he is going to continue the show or if the Detroit was once in a well, lifetime they, they were talking about how if he didn't sell enough tickets he wasn't going to do it and the tickets weren't selling so now that then the rumors were coming out that there were going to be music acts involved and all kinds of stuff and apparently not so much suddenly Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark is not the most troubled show currently <laughs> Ouch. Well played, sir. Well thank, played. Thank you. Dang. And then, should I just jump to yeah, my last Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Okay, done. all right. Uh, Rise of the Apes had its first uh, photo come out at WonderCon, and like a lot of geeks like myself, I saw it, and I was very impressed. This does not look like a CGI gorilla. It doesn't even look like a fake gorilla a la Congo. I mean, it looks like the real deal. It looks like they they, they grafted a gorilla onto onto Andy Serkis, and I was very impressed. I thought it looked pretty good, but we'll see. We'll see. That's just one, one glimpse of the film. And then finally, finally, the Tree of Life poster came out. Have you guys seen this thing? That's a crazy yeah. poster. It's a crazy poster, and then, of course, the thing that's last film and some other uh, sites like comingsoon.net were all over there's a dinosaur in the poster have you seen it no i I, I saw it on one site they like zoomed in on it yeah exactly (laughs) yeah comingsoon.net they're like look at the dinosaur yeah there is a there is visibly a dinosaur in the poster if you look at the poster right below terrence malick's name dinosaur i love that like nobody cares that like the master of cinema's return is like there's a dinosaur in this movie so Once again, proving the ten-year-old in all of us there you comes go. out to play. You well, you know, I, I hope the movie's brilliant, but hey, what the heck? There's dinosaurs in it. I'm happy. <laughs> all right then. Well, uh, wow, this is probably the quickest we've gotten through this segment in quite some time. So well, we have so much to talk to with our main topic. So you know, we got uh, we, we really? got a lot of talking. Do we? Okay, <laughs> I do. If if you say so. All right, <laughs> let's take a break. We'll come back. We're going to talk about the films of Prince. 
Just kidding. We're not doing an ad this week. Um, I don't know. I don't have one up. So we're just going to jump into, the, into our topic, which was Ethan's glorious uh, suggestion about the films of Prince. Um, I'm just going to kind of play, take, take a back seat on this one. <laughs> well, let, let me, well, why is that, Dave? <laughs> Because I made it through Purple Rain and most of Under the Cherry Moon, and that was enough. <laughs> so you're not a fan of Prince, then? No. Okay. No. Okay. No, that's okay. Because like, I and mean, that's fair. I'm not. A, it's worth saying up front. I'm not a, even a fan of his music, really. Okay. Well, no, what? That, 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 and that's okay. Because you know, that's that's where Ethan and I jump in. That's all right. Because obviously, there's going to be people listening who are not fans of Prince's music, but they're curious about Prince's films. And that's where Ethan and I come in today. Um, Ethan, let me open it up for the two of us today. <laughs> Dearly beloved, oh, we had gathered here today to talk about the films of Prince. Uh. Let's go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, I guess let me just jump into Purple Rain. Um, and, and I guess, sorry, as a precursor, let me just throw this out really quick. And I'm sure Ethan probably agrees with me on this. Um I'm not going to be making fun of Prince, the artist, at all today. I think Prince is truly an artist. I listen to his music all the time. I do. Prince has been known to be one of the only men in the world, in the world, who literally has mastered every musical instrument. He has literally mastered every instrument that has ever been put in front of him. We're talking lots of lots of instruments. So the man is clearly a genius. His genius doesn't necessarily translate into acting and filmmaking, however. That's what he we're going to be. He is confident. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. So that's what we're going to be talking about. So we're going to be talking about Purple Rain, the sequel, Graffiti Bridge, and the glorious under the cherry moon um so let's uh let's begin Can I jump in with my one praise of, of prince real quick yes of, of course dave yes Be, because this is something i noticed in purple rain i'm just going to get this out of the way up front okay um there's if you've seen any of the kevin smith stuff it's no secret that prince is a bit short um a lot of a lot of artists and filmmakers and, and actors and everyone would want to really kind of hide that as much as they can but there are quite a few scenes where, I mean, Prince is just, he's confident in who he is. He's going to rock it, how he's going to. And there are shots with those six-inch high heels. And I'm not making fun of the fact that he wears heels, but it's the fact that he he's just, you know what? It's part of me. I don't care. And that's something you can't help but kind of admire about the guy. So there, there it is. Thank you, Dave. Because it'd be easy to take pot shots at that. <laughs> I appreciate Call that. him the, like the kid, the mayor of uh, of Lollipop Land or something like that. But I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no, you're not going to get a shot in there. No, no, no. no, no. no. That's later. No. I've got. I don't need to. I got plenty of ammo. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, well, I guess we'll just start talking about Purple Rain. I mean, this uh, this film came out. I mean, Purple Rain as an album was for Prince. What Thriller was for Michael Jackson. I mean, this was this was the breakthrough. Unfortunately, it's such a breakthrough that like you, the purple, songs of Purple Rain are the only ones you ever hear on the freaking radio, which drives me crazy. Prince has done so many albums, dozens of albums. And I think most of them are brilliant. I love them, but you only hear like when the doves cry, or like you know, or even Kiss on the radio. But uh, and anyway, Purple Rain came out in the summer of 1984. It was directed by Albert Magnolia definitely came out in like the height of MTV because like the movie I mean let's face it it looks like a music video frequently oh yeah and when it when they showed you know when they showed the videos of it on MTV nine out of ten times it was just like scenes from the movie um it was directed by Albert Magnoli, who uh, later on went on to make the the cheesy cult classic American Anthem, the ode to gymnastics, which has never been released on DVD. But um, Magnoli definitely tapped into the market, and the timing was so perfect for this movie. It came out the year after uh, Flashdance, but the same year as, as Footloose, so there was clearly like an MTV-ready audience for this film. And, you know, people saw this movie, and they said, you know what, this is what a Prince concert is like. Clearly, I want to, I'm in. You know, this guy puts on such an amazing show, and he's clearly such an electric performer to watch. And the movie, if nothing else, we'll talk about the film in terms of plot and all that, but just in terms of the stage performances, it really is one of the great rock and roll movies. At least it's considered as such. What do you think of Purple Rain, Ethan? 
You say it's one of the great rock and roll movies? Yes. I think it's one of the great movies, period. And why is that? Because of the music. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I agree with you. I love love the soundtrack to this movie. And I love that um, I listened to the commentary a few years ago. Yes, I'm such a fan that I not only did I watch the DVD, but I listened to it with the commentary and everything. Um, it was revealed that When the Doves Cry was a last-minute addition to the soundtrack. It's one of the you know defining songs of Purple Rain, but it was like they put that, mo- that they put that song into the movie at the last minute. You know, it's a um, it's not actually a sequence. It's a, it's a montage sequence, and the, you know, Prince is walking around and the song is playing. You know, and it fits perfectly for the scene. But it's funny to think that that song almost didn't make it into the movie. Um, my problem with this movie. Um, and, and I'll just get this out of the way. You know, this is probably a problem I have with all of Prince's movies. Um, they are remarkably misogynist. Oh, um, yeah. The women think? in Prince's movies are nothing more than than conquests for him to conquer and literally toss aside. I always think Damn of the scene. Straight. <laughs> I always think of the scene in Purple Rain where Morris Day, who I love in the movie, by the way, Morris Day and Jerome Benton, they literally pick a woman up and they throw her in a dumpster. <laughs> yes, I can't think of a scene that like pushes the woman's movement other than like Sucker Punch. I can't think of a movie that would like <laughs> like push the woman's movie back like 10, 20 years further. I mean that like you mean the part other than the part where they, that he got Apollonia to strip down naked. Right. Yeah. 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 Makes her go in the pond. Right. Or uh, my favorite part's when uh, she gives him the guitar, and she's like, "I'm joining Morris's band." And he slaps <laughs> her across the face. He goes Ike all over. Her. Yeah. It's just like really. <laughs> Like, look, well, like listeners, like we're laughing about this because I mean, it is outrageous. If you haven't seen this movie, I mean, it's like the, the level of misogyny in this movie. I mean, it's outrageous, and like you could say, okay, well, the characters are misogynist. This movie, no, no, no. I think the movie oh, yeah. itself is okay, misogynist. My, my favorite little throwaway scene is during Purple Rain at the end, when he walks over and kisses the guitarist on the cheek, and she looks like she just threw up in her mouth. That that scene just kind of. There's the movie right there. <laughs> well, they like have so much contempt for him throughout the movie where that scene where like they're practicing Purple Rain. He's like, oh, no, you just want this. And she plays uh, Let's Go Crazy. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's such a spe- – oh, wow. Yeah, it's like, so special. And look, like, you know, it, it, you know, a lot of people said this this movie is to be admired because uh, you know Prince is clearly tapping into his his own life, you know his own relationships to his father, his own upbringings as this as this really radical, sexually provocative rocker who you know eventually broke through. Um, but you know what? This is the oldest story in show business. I mean, the story of the of the musician who is trying to you know appease his father or like deal with his daddy issues. I mean, that goes all the way back to the jazz singer with Al Jolson. I mean, this is this is a very old model. Um, but, you know, I was going to say, it's strange that he lives with his parents. Isn't he like 30 and very financially successful? That's sure what it looks like, isn't it? Doesn't that describe a lot of our listeners, though? What? <laughs> wow, that's Barry at ScreenGeeks.com. <laughs> oh, come on. Wow. Come on. I know like there's a lot of geeks who have like the failure to launch syndrome, you know, and Prince, you know, Prince was one of those guys, you know, although like how old was he supposed to be in the film? I like, I was under the impression he was supposed to be... Like, at least in the film, he's supposed to be in his teens, right? Or, like, I don't uh, know. I'll Westbrook, admit yeah. that's a failing of the movie if that's... Okay. <laughs> what, again, to point to the misogynism is when he sees his mom with the ever-loving crap beat out of her, and he goes in the house, Where are you, mother feffer? And walks in and sees him. So, that's a really nice song. Did you write it? Where the... This is like, I did not hear... I did not... Oh, hi, Mark. I mean, it was so... 
What? My uh, my favorite scene is when the first scene where his dad's beating her up and he comes to him and he's like, Dad, she heard you. And he's like wearing this like ridiculous suit and he's like trying to like stop his dad from beating his mom. And But those music scenes, listeners, those music scenes are amazing. All, every no, time you know, I think the movie stage. is a great melodrama. It, it, yeah, no question. And, you know, like, for we, we're picking out all the scenes where he's, like, not on stage. When they're on the motorcycle and Take Me With You is playing and he's got Apollonia in the back, man, I love that scene. I love that song. I love that scene. Apollonia is such a fox. Oh, no question. No question. Could have done better than either of those losers, I'm just saying. And Morris Day, man. I love yes, Morris I love freaking him. Day in this movie. Yeah, Morris Day is great. Morris Day in the time. And Mo- like, like you can't... It's, it's a time, like, I, I, was, I know it's the album would just be all the Prince music, but was there ever, like, a deluxe edition that also had the time and the Apollonia 6 on it, too? Because their music's awesome as well. Well, yeah, it's all, yeah, it's all, it was all separate stuff, um, you know, because Prince was, like, you know, he's overseeing all these different acts. I mean, you know, even Sheila E. got her own album, for that matter, her own career. Um, but, yeah, yeah, Morris Day, I mean, they, they've got their own album, you know, with with The Bird and, you know, and Jungle, uh, Jungle, was it Jungle Fever? No, no, no. No, that's a, that's, Jungle that's a Spike Lee movie. Jungle Live. Oh, we, oh, we, oh. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, no, Morris Day in the Time and 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 the two Lisas and, uh, no, it was the two Wendy's. I get, always get that wrong. Um, no, they, all of Prince's protégés essentially got their own albums, really. That was one of the things about working with Prince. Like, it's like you really get to, you know be your own as an artist and purple rain just like graffiti bridge is a real showcase for all sorts of different great pop acts and some of which like you know went well beyond the movie more in the time still performs so i'd like to see them in concert one day i you know and prince is like one of these guys i would freaking love to see in concert by the way have you guys seen that footage of kim kardashian getting on stage with prince at a recent concert no. <laughs> what yeah like what happened was she got pulled on stage and i guess prince didn't even know who he was like but he pulled her on stage she was in the front row and like uh, she was on stage with him for a few seconds, and he's like, "Dance, girl!" And I guess she was like, had a real deer in the headlights moment. He's like, "Get your ass off the stage!" So he kicks her <laughs> off the stage in a typical Purple Rain moment. <laughs> uh. Well, it, it should be noted that this film won uh, best score, best music score. Um, Prince uh, took the stage, and uh, in fact, I think he had, uh, I think he had two ladies with him on each arm, and he had a little purple shawl on with with glittery lights. By the way, I hope you noticed, Dave. I'm wearing my purple shirt here today in honor in of honor Prince. Of in honor of rain. yes, yes. So yeah, no, this was an Oscar-winning movie, and uh, no question, it really put Prince on the map in a huge way. He went from being like this this pop artist that people liked and respected and had good reviews to being like the, one of the definitive artists of uh, of the 80s and certainly into the 90s especially uh, uh, yeah good so i think we should talk about prince's acting in this movie i know it gets beaten up on a lot but i actually <laughs> sort of like it in a weird way how like you look at him on stage and he is like such a beast and you like look at him like acting and he's like so kind of low-key and deadpan i know some people would say wooden but i think it's kind of interesting i would <laughs> well no and i'll take the middle ground here because there is something to be said. Like again, like I'm under the impression that he's playing himself here, and I'm definitely willing to give him a lot of a lot of flack for that. Because not flack, a lot of slack for that, rather. Because you know that's 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 a lot harder than it than it sounds. Um, I think one of the great performances by any recent musician playing essentially themselves in recent movies has to be Eminem in Eight Mile. For me, that's like one of the pinnacles of like I think that's a great performance in a movie where he's really essentially reliving his life, and. I mean, I think there's some scenes in this movie that are kind of out of Prince's emotional range. Not the scenes of misogyny, strangely enough, but like some of the yeah. scenes with his parents and, you know, like some of the more melodramatic scenes. But uh, no question, Prince, I think, is always interesting to watch. Like, 
if 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 this is I mean I wish more actors were wooden like Prince because he's he's clearly he's going for it you know he may not have the acting chops yet or ever but like he's clearly he's clearly trying for like like high melodrama he's clearly trying for that Academy Award winning scene. Um, well, I think the guy who plays his dad is pretty good. Sure, sure. Like that's I though I love that scene where he's like did like a serious scene where he's like don't ever get married right but then like computer blue starts playing and it like totally like under undermines him completely <laughs> well you know who i think honestly i mean i think the 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 actor in this film and i think the real nice surprise is morris day because that's a oh, great sure. great comic performance he's got great timing he nails all of his lines even if his character is cartoonish and silly like to me there is such a flamboyancy that that comes really easy for him and prince like I don't know. Like, I think he assumes that he's like master of the universe when he made this film. So I think it kind of shows in his performance, like, you know, it's a bit of ego and a real easygoing charisma that he just has kind of accumulated over the years. Well, there's that scene where he's forming, it's the beautiful ones, right? Like, as Morris Day is trying to, like, get Apollonia, he's, like, you know, talking her. But then, like, he's Prince performing Apollonia's interest is just, like, suddenly, slowly Gone. shifting over to Prince. And you're like, damn straight. <laughs> It's Prince's world. We just live in it. Oh my god! Um, and oh, I love oh the darling Nikki scenes. Amazing. We just like humps air. Oh <laughs> man, that song was dirty, dirty, dirty stuff back in 1984. Now it's like it's like Lady Gaga would like you know would be like oh, this song's too tame for me. Yeah, oh, darling Nikki. It, yeah. I, oh, and I think the performance of the title song at the end, that, that, I, I, that, is, a, that is a beautiful sequence. I agree. I agree with you, Ethan. I, I love that sequence. I think it's epic. It's epic. I get I get choked every time I watch it. And I actually love how it just focuses on Prince. Most, like, there's a few like reaction shots, but for the most part, like just focuses on him. Like in her mouth, yeah. <laughs> well, the best, though, is when it cuts to you know, that guy. He, when after he performed Darling Nikki, that club owner, he's like, your shit's getting too personal, right? And then, like, you cut to him during Purple Rain. He's, like, crying and stuff. It's like, yeah. It's okay. It's okay, kid. The kid. The kid. Oh, well, you know, that, for me, that's, like, that is the essence of why the film works in, in you know, like, I, I think as a whole, you know, for me, the misogyny is just a little much to the point where, like, I, I have a hard time, like, losing myself to the film. Like, it's a lot of a lot of pimp slapping in this film. But Like, the fact that mom and dad are still happy in the hospital to you, I'm like, really? Well, it's a, it's a complex relationship, you know. It's one of these abusive relationships that's gone on for, for years and years and years. Um, and that's okay, girls. That's what no, the movie's telling you. Yeah, and, and, we're, and, and look, we're not saying this is good, okay? We're just we're just discussing this film. No, like, um, I really, I, I, I'm, I'm with Ethan here. I mean, I think Prince is at his, obviously at his best, at his strongest when he's on stage. And yeah, like, I think, like, in a sense, his performance is tops when he's being himself, which he does very well, so. Speaking of the dad, it's pretty interesting, too, that scene where he talks about, he's like, I would die for you. Then it becomes a song. Ah. That's right. <laughs> it's synergy and oh I love the final shot how it just it's just the freeze frame on Prince it's like ending the 400 blows <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. well Gene Sisko gave this thing four stars I mean he was no I think, so Eber, I think Eber right gave now. it four stars I think I saw it. it's like it was on both their top ten lists of the yeah, year yeah yeah well like I, I know Eber loved it but uh, yeah like like Siskel I mean he's he, I think he went as far to say this is the greatest rock and roll movie ever made is and it fair to say this may be more of a part of its time that's maybe that may be why I'm not since I'm just seeing it now that may be why I'm not connecting with it I don't it so know much. I mean again like if you don't like Prince I mean there's you know 
you know, and, and, and this didn't, neither of these movies changed my mind. I will say that. Okay, well, but, you know, and I don't know if this is. I don't know if the movie could change my mind because for me, it's always been about the music, personally. Yeah, but yeah, like when I was making my top 100 films of all time back in the summer, I honestly considered putting this on there. And you know, this is one of these movies that I could watch like any time of the day, and I feel the same way about Graffiti Bridge. Though we'll get to that later. Um, but anyway, yo, let's let's jump into Under the Cherry Moon. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Um, how to begin? Um, Prince shot this film in color and then in post-production decided it should be in black and white, which I thought was a good decision. I think it's a visually gorgeous film. I really do. Um, and, you know, no question, you know, whereas Purple Rain was a movie about Prince's life told through another filmmaker, this is Prince's film from beginning well, to we end. We didn't – oh, wait, Purple Rain, we did not talk about the Abbott and Costello ripoff either. No, but oh uh, but, but but there's more of that in uh, in subsequent Prince movies though. Okay, like even Graffiti Bridge has a bit of that. Now Prince loves like like kind of old old style slapstick, and and, like, and, the, and Under the Cherry Moon definitely shows that he's trying yes. to make an old fashioned movie. Right, no question, no question. Um, Kristen trying. Scott Thomas, of course. <laughs> Kristen Scott Thomas, she was originally an extra in this film, and then she got promoted to the lead actress, which is interesting to think that's oh. how she started her career. I mean, you got to say whatever you want about Kristen Scott Thomas. She survived Under the Cherry Moon, and she continues to act, and she's great. And for that matter, I think she's she she quits herself well in this film because, let's face it, that performance didn't give her a lot to work with. Um, my gosh. Th- this movie, I love this about Under the Cherry Moon. The year it came out, 1986, um, not, not only did it have the distinction of winning the worst film award from the Razzies, but it was tied with Howard the Duck. <laughs> I love that those those voters are like, oh, God, which one do I pick? It's like one is, oh, but the other, oh, God. And it, like it, it tied with Howard the Duck for worst picture of the year. Um, the casting in this film is interesting. Steve Burkhoff plays the heavy in the film, but you know what? It was originally going to be played by Terrence Stamp. Terrence Stamp was hired. He shot some scenes. Apparently, he was furious with the way the film was going, and he left the film. If any of you YouTubers out there have any footage of Prince and uh, and Terrence Stamp having a discussion, uh, an angry discussion on the <laughs> making of this movie, I want to see that footage because I would love to see Prince. Like I don't like your direction, Prince. Where, Terrence Stamp? You're not generals out here. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly why um, gosh what has to say about this film I mean I love the soundtrack to this film but I think one of the problems with the movie in addition to the story the fact that Tricky is Chris's beard in addition to, to those <laughs> well, problems with really this movie for, yeah. um, it feels like the music numbers like he's trying to squeeze them into the film as opposed to them natu- like some like 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 boys and girls I think is a good number and it works and it's it's there in the film but like even the opening number the Christopher Tracy's parade you know about him where he's like singing it it feels like it's it's an imposition putting it into the movie like he's trying to squeeze it into the film there are a number of musical numbers in this movie that feel like you know they're on the soundtrack they're in the album so it's like he's got to somehow like wedge them into the film's running time and I think that's that's one of the problems with this movie at a, at a fundamental level so, uh, something I like, like I mentioned this about Sucker Punch, I sort of like about this film that it exists. Like, yeah. can you imagine trying to sell this to a studio? Prince is like, <laughs> okay, I want to make a black and white homage to Fellini movies and screwball comedies. And there's going to be barely any music in it. I'm going to be the lead. Um, there's going to be no other well-known actors in it. 
Like, can you imagine trying to sell that? I know, and it's amazing. That, I mean, but, you know, he was Prince, you know, and uh, uh, Purple Rain made $84 million for Warner Brothers, which was, you know, in 1984. I mean, most movies didn't even make $100 million, so $84 million plus the soundtrack. So, like, yes, I mean, he is one of our, our top-grossing artists. Whatever you want, Prince. You want to direct? Yes. Mary Lambert was going to direct the film. Mary Lambert, who went on to make Pet Cemetery. You'll notice in the opening credits, she's credited as a creative consultant because she really did put a lot into the making of the film, but Prince, of course, took over and made the film his. Um, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, Ethan. Like, this is this is a movie that I'm glad it exists, and gosh, like, it's one of the most unintentionally funny movies I, I think oh I've, I've probably ever seen. Like, this Wait, scene, you're saying Recasto is not funny? That is probably the only intentionally funny scene in the movie. In fact, I showed that scene to Julia this morning, and she was laughing, and she's like, is the rest of the movie that good? I'm like, no, that's probably the... That's, like, the only scene in the movie I honestly, like, remember, like, vividly. Um, like, the movie's got more unintentional homoerotic humor than Troll 2. Well, you know, this is this is the eighties and there were a lot of androgynous pop performers. And Prince was like one of these guys, like the ladies loved him, but yeah, he did often you know, he he like kinda like um, you know, like Annie Lennox and Eurythmics or like Boy George, like he would, you know, he would just kinda be experimenting with his looks and like it wouldn't be clear like who exactly he was trying to I'm talking about the cream bath. Where his buddy Tricky, his homeboy, is sprinkling flower petals into the bath and over his head. I'm like, and then like, like when he, they get the phone call, and there's just like, oh my goodness, he called, and you're like, what is this movie? I just love that person. Be like, okay, Jerome, I need to do another take. We drop the petals on my head. Action. Well, this movie would be so much better if Tricky were played by Morris Day. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. No, I agree because I think uh, Jerome Benton. I don't think has what Morris Day has, and I agree with you. I think I think it would have been better as a as a twofer with uh, with Prince and Morris Day. I do. Is twofer the uh, wrong I think, word? I think no. the, I think the movie becomes is pretty much you know it's bad from the the opening, oh, the narration. Oh. Yes, and oh. she like says he dies. Doesn't she like say he dies at the beginning? Right. Yeah. They give, yeah. It's like an American Beauty and opening. Yeah, where they give away the they give away the ending. And Prince is like seducing that woman. He's just dressed so ridiculously. I love that scene because it's so He's funny. He's dressed like, like a belly dancer for half the movie. It's, it's <laughs> because it's supposed to be funny. Like the movie is probably at its funniest when it's when it's trying to be deadly serious. It's comedy. The comedy in this movie is so juvenile and like so when he's silly. getting it on with the girls with Mary's mom instead of Mary on accident. I was like. R- it's so yeah, like but Prince is really trying to do like an old fashioned comedy, you know, and it just it just doesn't work. But like, but I agree with Ethan. Like, they, they, this movie is so much fun to watch. I love, um, but uh, you know, but I have to be honest. Like, the only scene of this movie I genuinely love is the is the end credits when they have mountains, which is one of my favorite. And he performs in heaven. Yeah, that's my favorite part of the whole movie. It's like that's my favorite song in the album. I love that freaking song. It's during the end credits. So, yeah. Under the cherry moon. <laughs> okay, then you guys are on your own for Graffiti Bridge. All right, Graffiti Bridge. Like, man, this movie, this movie is interesting. Um, this is a direct sequel to 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 Purple Rain, but you would never guess from watching the movie that it's meant to be a sequel to Purple Rain. More misogyny. Well, not necessarily. You know, and what I did was I brought my original review of the film that I wrote like way back in the day. Um, so let me read you my original review of Graffiti Bridge. Um, You're like what, thirteen? Yeah, 
I was. Um, a great-looking bad movie from Prince, who at least made a better film this time than Under the Cherry Moon. Um, th- he's His time working on Batman seems to have influenced his style. Colorfully lit, looming sound stages with gothic architecture as vibrant as Dick Tracy. Enormously silly and juvenile, Morris Day and Jerome Benton have comic scenes, quote-unquote, that would have been too broad in a Three Stooges farce. Um, Morris Day can get away with preening his way through a movie, but Prince should have known better. It's a sequel to Purple Rain, but lacks the edge and honesty of that film. Interesting that I would say that. Lacks the edge and honesty of that film. The only thing that works is the music. Tevin Campbell, Mavis Staples, The Time, and The Purple One have great numbers, even when they're over-directed and over-edited. Like a lot of musicals, it works whenever it breaks into song, particularly Prince's Thieves in the Temple and Campbell's Round and Round. So I, I guess I agree with that assessment. Um... Madonna well, was originally going to play the lead role of the uh, of the magical angel slash muse slash whatever the heck she is. Madonna reportedly read the script, said it was awful, and said there's no way she was going to appear in it. Uh, Kim Basinger, yeah, because she is normally such high say, cinematic standards. Just think standards. about this. Madonna said she wasn't going to be in a movie. Well, she was like, you know, between this and who's that girl, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to do. Who's I'm going to go do Truth or Dare instead because that's going to be such a better choice. I like Truth or Dare. You like Truth or no, Dare? I've never oh, seen okay, that. I like Truth or Dare. It was a do- well, it's a documentary, you know, so she's so she's good in that one. She's playing herself. Um, yeah. So Madonna turned it down. Um, Kim, uh, excuse me, Prince's then girlfriend Kim Basinger, you know, of course, who we met while he was making Bat- the Batman soundtrack. Um, she was going to play the lead role, which would have been very interesting. Um. And, of course, they broke up, so she backed out of the film. And I still say, man, that would have been such a fascinating thing to watch her in this movie. Because um, instead, Prince went with Ingrid Chavez. Who, this is her introducing Ingrid Chavez, and we've never seen Ingrid Chavez in another movie again. <laughs> Ingrid Chavez is probably best known, interesting, mentioning Madonna. She's one of the producers of Madonna's Justify Your Love, the song. Um, but Chavez, you know, this is her one acting credit. She's a very striking woman, very beautiful. Um, but, uh, you know. She's not, no Apollonia. No, she, she isn't. You're right. She's no Apollonia. <laughs> Um, yeah, like, uh, I, I like that I said that in, in the review, because thinking about it, like, the, the movie is huge. Like, it has these big sound stages that look kind of like a cross between, like, Willy Wonka and Blade Runner. Like, these big, colorful, saturated sets. Um, and it doesn't feel like it exists in the same world. Yeah, it makes Purple Rain. Purple Rain look like an Italian neorealist <laughs> movie from the 1940s. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, he's playing the kid, but it doesn't, you know... I don't know if it seems like it's the same character. Morris Day is, of course, he steals every scene he's in. He's quite quite good, even when the script is quite bad. Um, like what my one of my favorite songs on the soundtrack isn't even by Prince. It's a song he wrote called "Round and Round" that that Tevin Campbell performs, and. The way the scene is shot, it, again, it's like one of these scenes, it feels like they just had to stick it into the movie, and it's in this really awkward place, narratively speaking. And uh, Prince has, a, in addition to the song performing, like he cuts two scenes like a record player scratching, and it's kind of obnoxious. Like it, it doesn't do anything for the scene, doesn't make the song any better. Um, but yeah, like like uh, the Thieves in the Temple scene is like one of the few scenes, uh, the Thieves in the Temple song, where like the movie has time to breathe and the song is actually played out from beginning to end and it's well shot. It's like one of the few scenes in the movie I think that really, really works and it feels like it exists in the same universe as Purple Rain. The rest of the movie feels kind of like this spiritual, egomaniacal musing on Prince's psyche. And that's like, you know, but it, of course that that, that oh, undermines wow. like how silly it is. I mean, this is a film that's just as silly as Under the Cherry Moon, but I think it's slightly better. What do you think? Mm. 
Uh, on my Twitter, I gave this a 2.5 out of 4. Okay. And honestly, giving this a passing grade is maybe the most generous score <laughs> I've ever <laughs> given. Like the level of generosity there, it's like it'd be like giving half my life savings to like UNICEF or something. <laughs> wow. When it came out, Prince said, yeah, the critics just don't get it. They didn't like Wizard of Oz either. And the Wizard of Oz grew on people. Like he actually compared his movie to the Wizard of Oz. I, I always remember that because I remember thinking, I wonder if Purple, uh, excuse me, I wonder if Graffiti Bridge is going to grow on people over time. But it really mm. hasn't. Not so much. No. I, I, you know, I like music in it, but the thing yeah. is, there's so much of it that it really becomes exhausting after like 45 minutes. How yes. much music there is in the movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Um, this is a soundtrack. I, I probably more than any other Prince album. I, I listen to Graffiti Bridge a lot. I love this soundtrack. I really do. But no, I, I you're right. I mean, like the he just tries to squeeze in way too many numbers, and I don't think Prince knew when quite when to say cut or when to. I mean, I don't know if I could blame the editing of the film on him, but like it, the, a lot of scenes just don't have their own life. They feel like like he wants it in there just because like he has this moment or, or like he's preening at the camera or like he's winking at the camera or, you know, his, it's a close-up of his butt in tight pants. Like like there's all these moments like I feel like Prince wants them in there so they're in the movie, but they don't necessarily belong there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, great music. Like like all of Prince's mu- movies, the music is terrific. And no question, Graffiti Bridge is interesting. It's interesting, but it's interesting the same way Under the Cherry Moon is. It's visually interesting, but whenever they open their mouths, the movie tends to kind of shoot itself in the foot, unfortunately. So I can live the rest of my life without seeing this. If you no. didn't like Purple Rain, you're not going to like Graffiti Bridge. All right, then. I, I will be Dave, avoiding that Dave, one, you liked Purple Rain. Come on. <laughs> oh. Like, like as a double feature with The Room, maybe? Graffiti Bridge is kind of like The Room as a musical. Would you say, Ethan? See? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could say, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's interesting. This film was supposed to come out during the summer of 1990, um, which would have made it like, I mean, I would have loved to have seen this movie like in the same marquee as like Total Recall and Die Hard 2. Um, didn't happen. It got really, it got pushed way the heck back to I think like October or September of 1990, and it got dumped by its studio. It was in theaters for like about a week or so. Um, yeah, like all the critics said the same thing about this film. It, it didn't get the the pinata bashing that Under the Cherry Moon did, but no question. I mean, Graffiti Bridge, like the critics were always like, you know, great soundtrack, don't see the movie. Okay. Yeah. All right then. So anyway, Prince never made another movie again. Um Aww. do we want to do we want to talk about the Batman soundtrack? Hell yes. Um you know, Batman. Get the funk up. Well, you know, but the, hey, I like that. Uh, the original, the original Batman directed, well, the, the, not the original Batman, the the Batman directed by Tim Burton in 1989. Um, one of the many commercial touches was decided that Prince would do the soundtrack to the film. So Prince actually did a completely separate album, basically the Batman album that was very successful. Um, Bat Dance, of course, was the big breakthrough single, which. Has so, not held up. Which struck me as strange because I don't think it's even close to being the best song in that album. I think it's a really good album, a good Prince album anyway. But I What's think, the song in the art gallery? Um, was Party. that? Party Man. Party Man. That was actually pretty decent. I like Party I, Man. I will, I will uh, that for sure. The Future, the, the song that opens the film. I think that's a great song. There's a lot of great songs on that album. Um, Trust. Yeah, Trust is a great song. Trust. What do you trust? you a real lover. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, and then like, then you got freaking Bat Dance, which is like, insane it goes on for what was that song like 10 minutes it feels like it's, 10 it's minutes pretty long. long and it's like it's it's almost all like samples from the movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's 
It's like the Mortal Kombat <laughs> song. It was Pissed. the number one song in America. Yeah, it was huge. It was a huge freaking song. It really was. And I, I've never understood why. Even back in 89, like I thought, like, this is such a... It's, it's My such cousin's a, like, you got to see this video. It's like the best thing ever. And I'm sitting there like, uh, okay. The video I, is amazing. The video is amazing. It is, and, I pre- and thank you, Ethan, for putting it on your page. It was a pleasure to revisit that video. Um, although I still have a hard time getting through it in one sitting. I really do. What? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not Friday bad, but it's... Friday? I think oh, I think it's like a genuinely good music video, to be honest. It's inventive, but I think kind of like the song, it's it's a little too much. It's a little too much I, of a good I, thing. I want to say I said this. I want to see Spike Jones direct a shot for shot remake with Kanye instead of Prince, <laughs> featuring the the dance troupe of 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 shoot the Bat Women. No, no, the the the. It's not Encino. The the praise you. Dancers. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I know you said this. This is basically like this. Him doing the soundtrack is basically like one. This one corporation saying, "Okay, we gotta have more synergy here. Let's let's have one of our biggest artists contribute to our movie." And I'm aware of that. But the thing is, I wish like if Green Lantern had a Prince soundtrack, I'd be so much more interested in it. And you know, I, I agree with you. I think because I think the Batman soundtrack worked. I think this is this isn't like um, this isn't like when Puff Daddy did that song for the Godzilla album. <laughs> with I think oh, that's no, a classic. I think <laughs> I think Prince actually came up with something really good. Um, I think his songs really do serve the movie. Certainly in terms of like the Joker. It's no and all Nightmare that. on My Street, though, sir. No, although that song wasn't even for the movie. That, that ticks me off. It wasn't even on any of the soundtracks of that movie, but should have been. Should have yeah. been. Yeah. And I guess no, last so we got the, the Dream Warriors song. Okay, sorry, didn't mean to do that at Nightmare on Elm Street. Side Dream Warriors. That's a good song. <laughs> um, I guess the last thing we should point out is that Prince did have one more bout with Hollywood, and that's uh, uh, Spike Lee asked him to do the soundtrack to Girl Six. Um, it's a good soundtrack because like it's got a lot of Prince's best songs, like Seventeen Days and and Love, you know, and uh, um, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, like a lot of his best out al- best songs, and then like a few original songs that he created just for the film. It's a very good, very good album. In fact, the soundtrack to Girl Six is probably one of the few things about that movie that the critics really liked. Although I like Girl Six, um, but no, Prince's uh, Prince's days in in movie making are essentially done. Um, you know, notwithstanding the Kevin Smith story that that <laughs> Kevin Smith yeah. like likes to tell. But yeah, Prince uh, gone went back to uh, to making music, making great music. So. I haven't listened to anything he's done like in the last fifteen years. I've heard it's pretty bad, to be honest. I disagree, completely disagree. And there, there's some albums he did that are pretty good. Like he did one a few years ago called Musicology, um, which I thought was really solid. He did one called News, which stood for North, East, West, and South, and it was a strictly instrumental album. It was beautiful. He did one called The Rainbow Children, which was really inventive. Yeah, I've heard that's good. But uh, Planet Earth, did you listen to that one? I haven't listened to Planet Earth. No, get bad reviews. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I think like a few, like it was like last year released like three albums at the same time. Right. And it was like a, it was like a, like a target exclusive and right. stuff like that. Always like, uh, yeah, yeah. I heard that was really sketchy. Like I heard like between the three albums, there's like four good songs all together, <laughs> which yeah, is too like, bad. I'd love to, I want to see him in concert so bad, but I'm worried that if I did, it would be just like all recent stuff and none of the classics, but well, you know, the thing about that, too, and it's it's good that you mentioned this, like Prince, you know, has decided that he is a more devout Jehovah's Witness that he, than he's ever been. So he refuses to do any of his past songs that deal with sex. Uh. So, like, apparently there are parts of the concert where he'll be like, 
Do you want to hear it. a song? Yeah. And they're like, uh, can we hear like Sex Machine? Like, sorry, I don't do that kind of music anymore. So like, yeah, apparently that's that's an issue because like, yeah, his his set list is like, you know, it's like 70, three songs that, like, eliminates like 75% of his music. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, yeah, you can't ask for like Little Red Corvette because even like thematically the song is about sex. So yeah, he doesn't do a lot of his old stuff anymore. He does a lot of cover songs like um, – he did what was it? Um, Prince is now a cover band. No, no, he did like he did like crazy that song. Crazy he did that. Like he does some some Barles and Arkley and uh, Niles Barkley rather. Um, yeah, like he'll do that kind of stuff. But he refuses to like go back to like the purple catalog of his. So and he'll he won't do any of the songs about when he was a symbol. Like because all those songs are about sex. So. What about what about artists inspired or that Prince inspired? You guys like R. Kelly? No, I'm no. not an R. Kelly fan. <laughs> what? No, I like Babyface. Uh, I like Babyface Edmonds. Um, let's see. Artists that he inspired. I mean, I love Teddy like, Campbell. Do you, like I, Dan, do you like D'Angelo? No, but I like Terrence Trent D'Arby. Mm-hmm. But D'Angelo and R. Kelly, I think, are both amazing. So you're never getting to that point in time where I started listening to metal more. This is, so. this is where Dave's like, <laughs> staring at the ceiling and watching the paint dry. Um Okay, like, I'm trying to think who else. <laughs> we can move on from this. <laughs> really, it's okay. Well, uh, forgive me. I'm trying I've, to think. I've wanted, I've wanted R. Kelly to get more into, like, into movies. Well, I guess Trapped in the Closet. Because I think he's, like, this generation's prince. <laughs> I like the Weird Al's version of Trapped in the Drive-Thru. <laughs> Trapped in the Drive-Thru. No, Trapped in the Closet. Have you seen those videos? No. They're fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Does he pee on people? No, but okay. but I mean, you know, it's about a murder, and it and it also deals with you know literally coming out of the closet. There's a midget who's a character. I mean, it's it's fascinating. I mean, no, I mean, really, I mean, like you want to see like the room as a music video, and like not it be a not be a Prince film. I mean, trapped in the closet is it? How many episodes are there now, Ethan? Do you know? Is it like five or six? From what I understand, there's like twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little behind. Obviously, is that counting the South Park episode? Nope. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> so, like, beyond D'Angelo and R. Kelly, do you think there are other other artists out there who are like of that caliber, or like you know, least least deserve to be in that that, that caliber? I think uh, Kanye kind of has the Prince thing going on right now. Hmm. I was a fan of Kanye before Kanye West happened. You know, like before I don't know before like he became like a household name. Well, have you to- did you listen to my beautiful dark twisted fantasy? I don't think I did. It's it is like it's one of the best rap albums I've ever heard. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll, huh. give, I'll give it a listen because I honestly like after the Mission Impossible three soundtrack, I kind of gave up. My oh yeah, that, that, that was that was no bad dance. Well, I hate I hate that song so much. Um, yeah, it is no bad dancing. But uh, <laughs> all right, let's wrap this up. I'm I'm, I'm done with Prince. I got to be honest. <laughs> are any closing thoughts on Prince? I, I will let you gentlemen have the last word. This is what it sounds like when the dove when cries. The dove. Oh! Oh! <laughs> yeah, we're All done. Right, then. We're done. We got it out of our system. Thank you, Dave, for indulging us. That's that okay. Was, no, that was no, that was really painful for you. That was no talking about it was kind of a cathartic experience. So was, was it? Kind now? Of, yeah, because we were able to laugh a lot at it, so which is which was made it okay. I yeah. love Prince, but his movies. I had are to go back. Bad. To, I, had to, I rewatched that scene where he kisses the guitarist like five times because it was just so funny. <laughs> Because she's just, you can tell she just hates his guts, and then he walks over and she's like, Ugh. I'm probably going to watch the Recasto scene one more time when I get home. <laughs> 
So next week, see, this week we got to get, have the fun with it. Next week we're going to all be depressed and want to kill ourselves because we're watching uh, Park Chan-wook's Vengeance Trilogy, which should be interesting as a discussion. And then we're taking a break for Starfest, and we'll go from there. Uh, but before we can do all that, we, we before we wrap this up, let's talk about what's hitting theaters this weekend. This weekend, the remake of Arthur starring Russell Brand and Helen Mirren. Do you see him holding up to, to Dudley Moore's? No, okay. but it looks like a. Vi- I mean, in all fairness, it looks like a very different film. I mean, this Arthur is not a rascally alcoholic, which is you know a big factor of the original film, and the fact that he was openly an alcoholic had a real problem, and people were offended by that and bothered by that, and that was a real factor to him. Like you know, will he change his life around? Um, and that they don't even take that angle, which is interesting because you know Russell Brand is also known to, to have been a substance abuser in the past, so it's. So it seems like they're taking all the sting out of this and just going for the jokes. But who knows? Who knows? Um, Born to be Wild. This is the 3D animal film that we saw the trailer for, and it knocked us out with its 3D effects yeah, in, the, in the trailer. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, Hannah, the new film from Joe Wright. This is Sarah Reese Ronan and uh, Kate Blanchett and Eric Bana. Eric Bana. I'm, I'm seeing a screening of that tomorrow night. I'm very curious to hear what you think about it. Um, the trailer did nothing for me, but uh, it could be good. I don't like Joe Wright. Um, I loved Pride and Prejudice, um, but it, after Atonement and uh, The Soloist, I've kind of given up. Have you heard the score for it by the Chemical Brothers? I've heard the score, which is interesting. Yeah, It's pretty awesome. Yeah, that it, it increases my interest in it by so much. Okay, well, well okay. let's see how the movie is. Uh, Soul Surfer, the uh, biopic about Bethany Hamilton. This stars Dennis Quaid and Helen Hunt. I love this film. And Kevin Sorbo. And Kevin Sorbo and Craig <laughs> T. Nelson. Yeah, it's got an interesting cast, but uh, solid film. And I and I know they wouldn't mind me saying this. I, I love the film. I hope people go check it out. Um, Your Highness, the new film from David Gordon Green. Um, far, far away from, uh, from George Washington. This stars Natalie Portman and Danny McBride and James Franco. So that's that's the major releases. A lot, lot going on this week. And then yeah, limited okay. release, you've got Ceremony, a critically acclaimed film starring Uma Thurman. Henry's Crime, which made its way across the festival circuit last year. This is with Keanu Reeves, James Caan, and Vera Farmiga. Really interesting idea. Huh. This is one about an actor who decides to rob a bank at the same time he's doing a play. So he like goes back and forth between robbing a bank and doing a play, which are like across the street from one another. So it's like a real artsy, weird comedy. And then Meet Monica Valore, a comedy about a young boy who wants to meet an 80s porn star, and the 80s porn star is played by Kim Cattrall. <laughs> so those nice. all opening this week in theaters near you. All right, and then what's it in DVD next week? Next week, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. Yep. Were you a fan of this one? Um, Man, it should have been at least a half hour shorter. Mm. There was no reason for that movie to be that freaking long. Yeah. I, I, I think yeah. I would say that probably about all the Potter movies in general. But I thought this one had some good scenes, but I, I wasn't crazy about it. I liked the, the prior Potter movie a lot more. Yeah, it was. The, the, the Richard Pryor Potter movie you're saying? <laughs> yes. I wish, there was a, I wish there was a Richard Pryor Potter movie. I would love that so much. Um, a film that Dave really got on the fence for. It. I, I really appreciate it because Dave was like the only one who liked this film. Country Strong is coming well, out. I, okay, I didn't love it. Okay, but you, but you really okay. liked it. I, I I was pleasantly surprised. Was it like a seven? Gar- Garrett, it, it was around there. It, okay. it, was, it was. I think I gave it a two, two and a half. Okay, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, Garrett Headland was actually the, the really nice surprise for me. Okay. Um, I would. Oh man, this is. I'm gonna bring Prince back into this. Um, <laughs> Yay! The part we did the, it, Ethan. The, the part at the Yay. end where, where Gwyneth Paltrow singing for like 20 minutes felt like the end of Purple Rain to me. I was oh, like, well, this so it's ever amazing. Freaking end for the love of Pez people, because. She's okay, but she, she, that wasn't. The She's no prince, though. Well, who is? There you go. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> and it's not uh, going to It's worth watching. I, I think Garrett Hedlund's going to surprise a lot of people in that movie. Okay. So, yeah. That's really the only reason I'd say watch it. How is uh, Minka Leighton. Kelly? Minka Kelly. Or Minka. Leighton Meester. Le- sorry, Leighton. Sorry, the other. I'm sorry. The other actress from The Roommate. I apologize. She wasn't bad. She wasn't bad. She was serviceable. You know? Okay. Yeah, she could sing. Yippee. Okay. 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 And Tim McGraw's in it too, right? Yeah. Oh, is he, yeah. Is he he's, good? He's a dick. <laughs> his character. His acting his character. is great. Okay. Like, I'm not saying Tim McGraw's a dick. I'm saying his character. As I find Man, that... what a stacked cast. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Because <laughs> I like him. Um, I really, I've really liked his work in movies, so I was curious how he was. I think he's a pretty solid actor. Yeah. Yeah. No, the thing was, I'm like, okay, so dude was just in Tron. Who was begging for him to be in a country movie? And, you know, Hedlund pulled it off. I well, good. Yeah. Okay. All right. So country strong. Um, also in uh, four disc Blu-ray special editions, The Incredibles and Cars. <sighs> I'm going to have to get The Incredibles. And this is one of the puzzlements of the week. Um, this is a new Colin Firth movie. It stars Colin Firth, Catherine Keener, directed by Michael Winterbottom, called uh, Summer in Genoa. Um, I've never heard of this thing. And it's going straight to DVD. It's coming right after the King's Speech. That's kind of fishy. And considering huh. it's Michael Winterbottom, too, isn't, who, who has a very impressive filmography. Um, all right, so we'll see. Yep. Um, Criterion, they're releasing White Material, starring Isabel Hubert and Christopher Lambert. <laughs> Who would have thought a Christopher Lambert movie would ever get released on Criterion? Yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen that. It's it's quite good. Is it good? Yeah, it got it got really sterling reviews. Have you seen any of uh, Claire Denis' other films? Which other films have his Claire uh, Denis done? Beau Travai, Friday Night, Thirty Five Shots of Rum. I have not. No, pretty good. Yeah, Beau Travai in particular. Okay, okay. Was that made recently or like how old is that one? Ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay. Look that one up. Um, one of the more peculiar releases from Miramax. It's a, it's an odd film. Um, it's worth mentioning just because it has such a strange concept, and that's the Human Stain is getting re-released on DVD. Human Stain stars Anthony Hopkins, Nicole Kidman, uh, Gary Sinise, and Ed Harris, who's amazing in the film. Um, it's one of these films. I wish I could talk about what it's about, but that would kind of give away the whole story. But uh, I think I, I think I know what the plot twist is. Yeah, it's it, 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 it was. <laughs> Very strange casting to pull off the plot twist that they have in the film. Have you seen this one, Dave? No. It's peculiar. Um, I don't know. Do you think the film works, Ethan? Do you remember it? I only know the twist. I have not seen the film. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think the film completely works. The performances are great. It's very strange to see Nicole Kidman as a sex-starved janitor. Very strange casting. <laughs> and then when you consider who Har- – who was not Harrison Ford. I'm sorry. When you consider who – Anthony Hopkins is playing in the film. I, th- I think the casting is strange, but of course he does a sterling job as always. Ed Harris, I think, is really, really great in the film, and so is Gary Sinise. But um, it's one of these films I really think a low-budget cast and a, a, just a different approach. But I think having like this all-star Miramax treatment of this this project was a little bit of a mistake. Anyway, maybe we'll, we'll talk about it. This, this is a movie that definitely deserves to talk about. We'll talk about it later. Um, Finally, one of uh, one of my, my favorite releases of the week has to be Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, and Race the Devil on DVD and a double feature disc. Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, one of the just a just a solid exploitation film, and then finally Race the Devil. This is the one about Peter Fonda and a van full of hippies who accidentally stumble across a group of Satan worshippers, and the movie becomes a chase. Hence the title Race the Devil. <laughs> the, the Satan worshippers are chasing the hippies in the van. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. So, very right, eclectic then. DVD week. No kidding. Dang. 
All right. Well, uh, if you want to shoot us an email with any feedback, talking about your your love, pro- proclaim your love of Prince by all please, means. Please, please. Yes. There has to be more out out there like us. Yeah. There you go. Uh, you can shoot us an email to podcast Barry, Ethan, or Dave all at screengeeks.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at seven one nine three five eight two six seven five. That's right. The number's back. Bork is back. Um, next week we're gonna we're gonna get our depression on uh, to talk about. <laughs> I'm really psyching you up for this, aren't I, Barry? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. Talking about the vengeance, vengeance trilogy from Park Chan Wook. It should be a heck of a good time. But until then, this is Dave. This is the kid. It's Ethan. Wow. I'm... <laughs> <laughs>